Welcome to Cashflow Candy, episode number 20 with Jessica Wilson from Stashed. Jessica now works throughout Australia, New York, and Paris for Fashion Weeks, which was the inspiration to launch her online shopping app called Stashed. Stashed is now in 94 countries around the world, and this is just in 18 months, guys, has been featured as Apple's best next app in 11 countries. Plus, she was pinned by Forbes as an under 30 entrepreneur with potential to change the world in the next 50 years. And as a result from that, Jessica is now the youngest woman in history to attend Forbes Under 30 Summit. Now you can imagine to pin someone down like Jessica with her busy schedule is hard enough. Um, And halfway through this interview, I want you to please be patient. She gives incredible information. However, we did find a little bit of a challenge trying to get her into a soundproof area with also great internet connection. So if you can be patient, the first 12 minutes is um, dropping in and out a little bit. But as we go into the interview, we get her to change where she is, which is a funny story in itself. And you'll hear that at the end of the interview. Now, I asked Jess to take a photo of it, which is absolutely hilarious. And we've got it on my blog page at AnnetteLakovich.com under Cashflow Candy with Jessica's interview. So click on that post and check out the photo. It's beyond words. <laughs> So guys, just a few things, what you're going to learn in the interview, how to get free PR, how to get your app to work if you've got an app, how to deal with your data as an entrepreneur and absolutely amazing takeaways in this interview. Sit back and let me introduce you to Jessica Wilson from Stashed. Lynette Lakovich and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists and share the ultimate information, helping you increase your sales, doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business. Hi, it's Annette Lakovich here and welcome to Cashflow Candy. Today I have Jessica Wilson on the line and some of you may have seen her recently at an Australian tour with um, the entourage called The Unconvention and this is where I met Jess. We actually shared the stage together and um, it was quite funny how we met Jess, isn't it? Well, was we were backstage <laughs> and hilarious. I don't know if anyone actually saw on the um, Facebook page that I forgot my outfit that I had been shopping all over Sydney for, for the stage. <laughs> I left it at home. So I flew down to Melbourne and thank goodness Melbourne has late night shopping and oh, I quickly goodness. got this top. And then I tried it on in the hotel room and girls, just like you want your man to say, oh my God, you look fabulous. Pete goes, mm, I don't know. I don't know about how it's, it's got a different neckline. And then I thought, oh God, I'm going to look like shit on the, on the stage. <laughs> so I bought this top in and I really wanted to wear it. And the funny thing is I'm not a person that normally asks somebody else for their opinion. However, Jess is in the room. I've never met this young lady before. <laughs> <laughs> but she looks like she had a bit of style. And I said to her, do you mind if I just try this top on and just give me your opinion? She goes, yeah. And I said, now, I want your honest opinion. And she goes, oh, don't worry. It'll be honest. And I had no <laughs> idea even what Jess's background was. Came out with the top and she goes, definitely that one. I went, thank you. <laughs> so, Jess, welcome to Cashflow Candy. And um, we're here today to talk about you being an amazing female entrepreneur, starting your very first company at 16 years old, um, and just having this magnificent app called Stashed. So let's just kick off with the interview with um, just telling us about your app first. What is it, in case none of the ladies have actually seen it yet? And um, let's go from there. 
Yeah, for sure. So Stashed is a fashion discovery app. We like to think of it as a global virtual mall on your mobile. Mm. And what we've done is we've started to work with over 3,000 brands and correlated the whole shopping experience into one location. So it's similar to mimicking the process of browsing, how you flip through clothing in a bricks and mortar store and we've taken that onto mobile. So the way it works is you're presented with one item and that item you can either swipe left to trash the item to never see it again or right to stash the item into a centralised virtual wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And from that wardrobe you can either share via or go directly through to one of our stores and purchase and then we make um, a 10 to 20% commission off everything that we sell. Cool. Now, just um, can we just go back to that? You just said, because you just cut out, and guys, this yeah. is what happens with technical stuff, doesn't it, all the time. Um, <laughs> the best part you said, you either swipe left and it, it deletes it or you swipe right and it stores it and then you're about to say something else. Can you go back to that? And right to stash the item into a centralised virtual wardrobe where you can later go back for style inspiration or to purchase. Fantastic. And I love how it's a virtual shopping mall. Like that's every woman's dream, right? <laughs> Just stay home and just shop on the one the one app. Totally. The one, People one get a digital tour. They sit there on the tray on the bus and just swipe, swipe, swipe. And the, the next thing they know, they've shopped three different retailers and like seven different brands I'd never heard of before. So I love it. And so it's a great three, discovery platform. 3,000 brands? Yeah, 3,000 brands now. And have you actually seen people like using it, but you sort of don't have no idea that you're actually the founder of it? Have you ever seen it, that? It, I have. It actually it happened to me the other day, actually. It cracked me up. So I was... um. Where was I? I was on the train and I was just, I noticed somebody flicking and I'm like, I bet you they're on Tinder or something else. But I looked over their shoulder and they were on stash. I had like a little proud moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Absolutely love it. It's like, you know, say an artist, like, you know, hearing their song and thinking, oh, that's my song. And I can see someone singing to it. (laughs) That's what I I imagine it would be like. (laughs) And trust me to relate it to music, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, where did the idea come from? How did this come about? Because as entrepreneurs, we get these ideas and some people run with it. And I believe that we get these ideas because it's our gift, it's our brilliance. And we're meant to be able to provide this to the world, but some people get scared off. So how did you get this idea and what made you just run with it? Yeah. So there's two parts to how the idea came to life. One was I used to work in the fashion industry and growing up um, having an influence from fashion. It was a frustration with online shopping. I found it incredibly segregated mm-hmm. how we need to shop one store with one site, another store, another site. You've got all these different carts and offices and it's very, um, like, jagged in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also was working throughout Australia, New York and Paris Fashion Weeks at the time and um, I used to work on seating plans. So I would work on where in the industry editors would sit, bloggers would sit, um, where buyers would sit, all of that. And it's very kind of um, political seating plans, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's third row and they're supposed to be first row, it's not a pretty, not a pretty thing to deal with. So mm. at that time there was a major shift in the fashion industry and there was some print magazines moving back and there were online stores moving forward as well as bloggers moving forward. So I could see this shift globally in the fashion industry and I, I actually pinpointed the target market Stash before I pinpointed what Stash was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of those came together. 
Um, and then it went on to where I booked a ticket, to, a random ticket to Silicon Valley and was like, I need to find out more about this tech yeah. industry. Tell us about this story. Now, if anyone hasn't heard this, this story is just awesome because how old were you at this stage now? Oh, my gosh, I think I was like 20. Yeah, okay. So imagine a, your 20-year-old daughter for those women that have <laughs> kids um, or if you are around Jess's age now, um, which is in your 20s, is that right, Jess? I'm 23 now, yeah. Yeah. So imagine, guys, just booking a ticket. You believe in your dreams so much that you book a ticket to go across to another country because you're that determined. So share with that story because it's just fabulous. Yeah, I love it. well, I booked a one-way ticket. I had no idea how long I was going to stay for. <laughs> Did not have much money at the time, mind you. I was 20. Um, so I booked a one-way ticket to Silicon Valley, spent all my money on booking out this, like, really crappy hostel for two weeks, <laughs> lived off noodles and just went to different tech meetups. Um, in my mind was I knew that I needed to be in tech and I knew the fashion tech industry was where it was going and what I wanted to be involved in. I just didn't know what aspect of the industry yet. I didn't Mm -hmm. know if it was going to be an app or website or what it was. So in my mind, I was like, if I can throw myself into the cracks of the tech industry, which is Silicon Valley, then I'm going to learn a hell of a lot. So I got there and I went to different meetups and I ended up just by chance meeting Facebook. Um... Can you just say that again? You just cut out. So where did you, who you ended up meeting? Yeah, so I ended up meeting some guys from, I went to a meetup and I just ended up meeting some guys from from Google, Yahoo, Facebook, um, and they, I ended up going on like tours of all the different campuses. They snuck me in and we'd go and they'd show me around. Um, Fantastic. And from doing that, I learned where the industry was at, where it's going, timelines of when they think different technologies were going to come into play. I ran different ideas past them. And it was just them opening me up to a different world I had no previous knowledge about rather unless I'd previously Googled it. But mm-hmm. these guys were obviously working in the crux of major tech industries and they were kind enough to offload their knowledge onto me, mm-hmm. which gave me um, the insight I needed to be able to pull together what Stash now is. So how did you feel being a fashion girl oh gosh, going so into a tech world? Like, I stuck out seriously. like a sore thumb. I did. <laughs> Clicking like, along was, in your little heels. And your- I know. Like, <laughs> I'm the type of person. Like I wear, I'm quite like a, I wear a lot of colour, like I wear a lot of lipstick, like that type of thing. That's just yeah. how I am from growing out. All <laughs> oh, the tech boys be going, oh, God. Oh, my gosh. It was terrible. <laughs> They'd be excited. You would have made their day. <laughs> funny and I got there and I'm like okay well this is going to be interesting because like you go to meetups over there and there would be either no women or there'd be like one or two women or it was just such an industry where there was there wasn't very many women there still isn't very many women in the industry either so Mm -hmm. for me to come in from an industry which was being very kind of vibrant and out there and that type of thing um I did I stuck out like a sore thumb but I mean I used um, my differences to my advantage and that's how I ended up making friends quite quickly over there and can I just say for the listeners, um, I want you to have a listen to what um, Jess has done where she said she actually went to meetups. So how often are you surrounding yourself in the right pool of fish? Sometimes we might be going to networking groups and the networking groups are people perhaps at the same level as us or know the same as us, where what Jess has done is she's put herself in a pool of fish which are a completely different um, kettle of fish. They're they're, they're just completely different, which takes her out of her comfort zone, but Mm -hmm. she knows that that's where she's going to get the answers, which is so important for networking. How often do you put yourself into these different situations 
situations where you've got people that are out of your pool, out of, and they're in a different level where you know that's where you need to play at now to get in front of your clients or to get the outcome that you need. So I love that, Jess. That's Definitely. just so amazing. I mean, I still, I still do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've constantly got to be learning and growing to be able to stand too comfortable with what you think you know there's always somebody with more money than you more resources than you so if you can constantly push yourself with learning about different aspects of your business that you might not necessarily know as well as what you should Mm -hmm. by going to different meetups and meeting these people and kind of sharing knowledge and having like um the best things to come out of that like I I met one of my main mentors in the in the girls bathroom a little bit once it was hilarious and to this day she was one of my main mentors she happens to be just a contributor for forbes.com and we met in a women's bathroom at an event just by getting chatting so you Mm. never know what can come from it as well and that's the other thing talking to strangers I had this lady once I said hello to her funny enough in the bathroom I said hi how's the conference (laughs) going yeah and she said and she said yeah good and we had a bit of a chat and found out where she's from and Mm. blah blah blah. and then as she walked out she turned around she goes thanks so much for saying hello to me and I thought that's weird (laughs) I know I think people get stuck in their own heads they're like I can't talk to people but everybody's there to talk to each other yeah and sometimes you just have to initiate the conversation sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah and if you think about the people that are in your realm of business contacts business associates they were once a stranger and you know there's all these strangers out there there could be either a great friend a great contact a mentor there could be that connector that you need and it's just by simply starting this you know conversation and I think because we're so stuck into really a digital world where we're used to, you know, Facebooking and doing text messages instead of picking up the phone. I feel like we're lo- or we're diluting that communication skills in a way. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's so important, especially if you can put yourself in the right networking group or the right opportunity per se. Like if you make the most of that and make a human connection with people that you never know what can come from it. Mm. And it's exciting in a learn from them so I think of it more as an exciting opportunity rather than something to be afraid of yeah you know so it's just like what can we what can we do here like Mm. it's exciting so tell me about your data because we get these ideas as entrepreneurs and some of us jump around with it like I'm a I'm I'm a risk taker (laughs) I will just get this idea and if I get the feeling for me I'm a very kinesthetic person I'll feel it and I'll just be motivated by that if I do something Mm -hmm. very logically first it doesn't tend to fly with me oh my gosh I'm the same. You're the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then you kind of like work it back from Yeah, what's... then you're going to work backwards yeah. and go, okay, let me do the numbers on this. Let me just see how realistic <laughs> yeah, it is. Totally. Yeah. Um, so how do you function when or if that voice comes in? Like how many times did this idea of Stashed come along mm-hmm. And then you went to walk away or was there a time when you started to doubt yourself? Let's just oh, there's go always, there. I think there's always times when you doubt yourself. I mean, it's part of being human. Like we, we feel different things. We feel happiness, excitement, sadness. I think fear and doubt is just one of those feelings that we feel intrinsically as a human being. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like I, I had doubts. Like you, you still like as a human, you have harnessing that and listening to more so your inner voice being like yes you can do this just try yeah and letting that voice outweigh that no you can't do it mm-hmm. um and I mean even with getting started I wasn't the most technical person at all mind you like it I don't it, it's quite random that it ended up how it did but it was more so <laughs> me acting on an opportunity than me being like I want to be in the tech industry yeah um and by all 
why would you do that? You don't know how to code. You didn't do this. Like you don't have this knowledge in tech, but it's more so Mm -hmm. having such a belief in the idea and such a belief in the opportunity that's there that you just need to just drain that out and just roll with your gut. And then I think that's something that I still do to this day is just believing so much in what you're trying to do. I'm so sorry, just cut out there. Believing so much in what you're trying to do, I'm guessing what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm believing so much in the vision that it starts to outweigh your doubts and that voice <sighs> becomes a lot louder than what the doubts were and then eventually the doubts will fade out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so true. It's just continually staying in touch with that vision and as soon as you take that risk, it's easier to take the next one, isn't it? It's like you get, yeah. you get comfortable to play above the line instead <laughs> of below the line. Playing below the line becomes uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like once I think you kind of outstep your comfort zone once, like you get a bit of a tolerance for it. Mm -hmm. So the more you do it, it's not as difficult and then you'll do it so much that it's like, oh, this is awesome and this is fun and then it's not something that you're scared of anymore because you've taken that step and you've overcome that fear and overcoming a fear sends adrenaline back into your body so you feel good. So by overcoming a fear, it actually makes you feel good opposed to you feeling scared or anxious about it. Mm -hmm. So tell me about, um, I, I don't know how many people I've coached over the years, so many people do want to come up with an app. And yeah. I think they feel like it's going to just sell itself. Oh, God, no. <laughs> design an app and some of yeah. these apps cost a bomb, as you know. Yeah. Um, and they think that they're going to be able to, you know, sell it for $5 a download and they think that's just going to be so easy and they're going to get millions yeah. of them. So let's just explore this. Um, what are some of the best steps that people need to yeah. do if they've got an idea for an app and they want to launch it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's two ways to go about how you can actually build the app. Um, there's a way that if you have developed a bit of a business plan and you've got a clear vision of what you want to do, um, there's a way that if you can sell that into somebody with technical skills to come together and be Mm co-founders. So if you can sell that vision into somebody who can code or who has the skills to be able to bring that vision to life, then you can come together and drive that together. Mm -hmm. Um, With that though, because you won't necessarily have to pay them a lot of money, it's more so they would have equity in the vision, so in the company, to be able to drive that forward. That's what I did with Stash, Mm -hmm. mainly because I didn't have a lot of money to outsource it and Mm -hmm. I wanted that kind of technical brain um, aligned with what we were doing. Um, The second way to do it, if you've got a bit of a knowledge around the tech industry um, and what you need to have done, or if you've got somebody who can have actors, an agent we call it, then you can outsource some of the tech overseas. Mm -hmm. And outsourcing the tech overseas is half the cost or if not less of the cost than getting somebody on the ground here Mm -hmm. um, so they can do a lot of the development overseas and that will maintain your equity but it will front up a cost from the Mm get-go. So those are the two main ways um, of doing it and then there's companies like Blue Chili that if if they accept you into it, they take X amount of percentage in your business and then they give you those tech resources um, to get it off the ground as well. Uh-huh. So how, how is one of the best ways for them to promote it then? So if they've got an app, what are some different mm-hmm. ways for them to promote it? And also let's talk about the PR because you're the free PR <laughs> queen. <laughs> I am the free PR queen. Um, okay, so firstly there's something called ASO, which is similar to SEO, mm-hmm. and that's a way to make your app stand out in the App Store and that's using specific keywords around what your app is. Um, that's making sure your page on the app store is as well set up as possible. So it's mm-hmm. making it visually appealing. It's using dot points as opposed to long paragraphs and how you're describing it, um, that type of thing. So that's mm-hmm. a big one when actually launching it physically into the app store. That's great. Secondly is when you're generating PR, you don't want to um, pigeonhole yourself. So with Stashed, if 
like I, if a, a lot of people they do with things like that are similar to stylishly fashion apps is they'll be like, okay, I've got a fashion app. I need to target the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And they will just be tunnel visioned that that's their target market and that's as far as they go. Whereas with Stashed and what we've done is we've broken it down and we've, we've, we've thought a lot more laterally in that, okay, we've got a fashion app, but what are some target markets that we can target here? So we targeted the fashion industry, obviously, the fashion tech industry, the tech industry, the entrepreneur space, the business space, the startup space, the women in business, my mm-hmm. personal brand, all these different um, aspects. Yes. And then we went and we sought PR in all of those different realms. And as you start to lock in some PR in one of the streams, say the startup stream, that'll help you with the fashion stream and you kind of start to leverage all of this different PR you get across different channels against each other. And then it comes to grow into a being a lot bigger than what I even initially thought starting out. (laughs) Um, So it's just thinking a lot more laterally about it. Don't think because you've got a fashion app or a sport app that that's your one target market because that's not going to get too far. Mm -hmm. Um, And just in saying that, what were your thoughts on how, like, did you have an inkling that it was going to be massive at the start and that's why you're going after it? Or is it like just bigger than what you've ever Well, I mean, I, I, of course, believed in the vision and I've, of course, thought this is going to kind of get across what I want to get across. Of course, I had that thought. Otherwise, I wouldn't have put so much um, effort and time into it. But by all means, I had no idea that it was going to grow this quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's how long you had the business now for? About a year and a half. Wow. So it's been very quickly, yeah. I mean, after the first six months or so, it just started to snowball um, and we just had to kind of keep up with it. So how, um, and let's just give you guys some stats here. Mm-hmm. In 18 months, she has 3,000 brands on board, 94 countries. Yeah. Like that is crazy. It's crazy, I know. Even when we speak about the stats now, I'm like, how? Um, but, I mean, if you've got a product that brings value to people and you mm-hmm. know how to promote it the right way and you've got the right team, then you can sustain that and you can grow that quickly mm. because you've got the resources to do it and you've got a product that people actually want. Um so, I mean, yeah, it's been super exciting and super quick. <laughs> so what about people, like every person I've had on Cashflow Candy has told mm-hmm. me that someone tells you you can't do it. Oh, definitely. Um, who, I love in, who, in your, who in your life has told you that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, the main one that stands out was I, um, I went to, I moved from a small town in Coffs Harbour to Sydney to study at university. Whereabouts um, in Coffs Harbour? It was a place called Karangi. People, like, no one's heard of it. It's tiny. Have you heard of Sawtell? Yes. Oh, my gosh. We used to go to Sawtell for holidays all the time. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> my best friend lives in Sawtell. So we were neighbours in Christmas holidays. <laughs> I love that. We totally would have, like, crossed each other in, like, Sawtell Street. It's, like, one street. Or I love it. Um, so <laughs> sorry. What, what did I even ask you? I've just got off track then. <laughs> you like Sawtell? Um, yeah, oh, so who from, told you? Yeah. Yeah, so I started university and part of my university degree was you had to get a nine-month internship in the industry that you wanted to work in. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, I was like, yep, I want to work in the fashion industry. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. So I went and had a meeting with my careers advisor and I went in there very prepared. I had researched different fashion companies and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to work in runway production. That's what I want to do. And she looked at me and she said, Jess, you know what? She was like, to be honest with you, you don't have it in you to get an internship in fashion. She's like, you know what, you just don't have it in you. Like you're not the type of person to have an internship in fashion and you came from this small town, like it's just not possible. So let's give you an internship in hospitality just so you can get the marks. 
Um, oh, my. Yeah. And so what happened? How did you feel? Did you walk out with that just thinking, did you believe, did you take on her oh, values? That was something that was literally a changing moment for me because at first being a young girl and going mm-hmm. to a careers advisor and them telling you that your hopes and dreams are not possible, mm-hmm. I felt incredibly upset. Like I was very upset. I was like, I don't understand. Like This is what I want to do. I'd never had somebody tell me so blatantly to my face that I couldn't do something before. Mm-hmm. So of course I was hurt at the beginning, but then as I thought about it kind of overnight, I was like, who is this person to tell me that I can't do something? Like, who are you? And if I'm if I'm so certain on this is where I want to be, if I want to be in the fashion industry, then maybe I don't belong in this university. Maybe the university isn't right for me. Shut up, Yeah, that. Seriously. So I, I went and I went back and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to take that risk. And she said, okay, well, if you don't get your internship um, in fashion, you're going to fail the course. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to drop out. So I dropped out and I went and knocked on every single fashion house I could find. Uh-huh. Um, and I finally, I finally found a company that took a chance on me. Um, and then from there I started to work during Australian fashion weeks, New York fashion weeks, and just really was thrown into the fashion industry. I was very fortunate to find a, um, a company that was early-ish stage. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of responsibility and I learned very quickly. So it was a blessing in disguise. But it was very hard to deal with at the time. Have you ever um, seen or heard of that career no, again? No, her face and her full name is like ingrained in my mind. <laughs> so one day I'll, I'll reach out and say hey. Yeah. You know? um, it's it's so shattering how somebody could give voice such a strong opinion to pull um, an individual off their own compass. Exactly. And when somebody tries to pull you off your compass, you know, some people actually take on those values and those beliefs and they just stay at the level that they are and they never try again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I just love it when I speak to these entrepreneurs that it's like this, it's like something inside you just has this feeling of this magnetic pull that you're just oh, meant definitely. to do it. And I just love when people just go, I'm going to show you, I'm going to use yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, cause if you feel it, it's so hard to explain and verbalize what it is, but if you feel that you need to go in a certain direction or you need to do this, or you need to start this, mm-hmm. I think if it's louder within you than the people that are telling you that you can't do it, you have to, you owe it to yourself to follow that. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's something that I've lived by for a while now. So mm. if I feel that I have to do something, I've just got this gut in the sticks about something, I'll go and do it just because I need to know why that feeling is there. Yeah. And what about family, friends, you going across to Silicon Valley, like how was their reaction <laughs> to that and you just like your parents even know what an app was? My like. parents <laughs> think I'm crazy. <laughs> My parents think I'm crazy. I mean, I grew up in a farm. They've both got kind of nine to five jobs and yeah. they're very like accustomed to the Coffs Harbour lifestyle, which I love because it's so refreshing to go back to. But when I say things like, okay, I'm going to book, I'm going to go to Silicon Valley, they're like, just why? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And um, even at that point, even up until recently, they're like, oh, Jess, you've done so much. Imagine your resume now. You could go get such a well, like such a good job. I'm like, guys, that's not the point. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, it's, yeah. And it's the, the programming of um, that era that they've gone through where exactly, you yeah. get employed, you work the nine to five job, you stay there for so many years, you get the gold watch and that's what you do and you do it by security and yeah it's um and that's good for some people as well because you know there's some people out there that entrepreneurship um isn't um 
comfortable for you and you might thrive better in having that security around um, you and like you know what you said with that internship like you knocked on a lot of doors you got a lot of rejection before you actually got that and some people it's just not built in their framework that they want to do that that they want to go through that so um, I think it takes a certain type of person to be able to be an entrepreneur and to be able to do that I mean it's not for everybody but if it's for you I think that we're a rare breed anyway, so mm-hmm. you owe it to yourself and you owe it to yourself really to be able to follow that because it's a rare person that is comfortable with being uncomfortable in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Now, um, you're in 94 countries we spoke about before. How on earth do you get into 94 countries? Like if we've got people <laughs> here that say, I want to go into a foreign country mm-hmm. um, and take my product or my service over there, what are some mm-hmm. tips that you can give them? Yeah, so I did the opposite of what you were supposed to do. Um, <laughs> it's always the way that works though, right? <laughs> yeah, so normally it's like, okay, let's launch in Australia, let's test the market and then let's go global. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, when bringing on our first partners, I was like, you know what, I want to see how it goes to go global from the get-go. Um, so at one of our first stores that we brought on to Stash was Net-A-Porter and Net-A-Porter has a global presence. So just the fact that we stopped Netta Porter and then Mr. Porter and then Farfetch and all of these online stores, mind you, were all globally shipping. Mm-hmm. That gave us the ability to have, to have a global footprint from the start. So it was our alignments and partnerships that I thought a lot bigger instead of going for just Australian designers. I took a bit of a top-down approach mm-hmm. um, and started off with the big guys. Um, once I locked in them, as I said, gave me a global footprint and then it was just smart tagging ASO-wise. So in the app store, like I spoke about previously, having your right tags, having that set up properly. So once it is discovered by somebody in a foreign country, mm-hmm. then that it's easy for them to download and it's easy for them to get more information about. So I guess it's alignments and then making yourself easily sought after. And then obviously the PR that we generated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I went for people, I, I always aim high and to see where we go from there. Mm-hmm. So we locked in quite early on placements in Forbes and things like that. And they obviously have... Um, more of a global reach than somebody like the Australian or those type publications that are just Australian. So I've always put myself on a global scale even when we were starting out um, and then we've just worked with that. Love it. And, you know, that's how I actually always teach and I was going to name a book Play Big because playing was mm-hmm. too, um, is, is too hard or just the same and then I found yeah. out somebody else released a book a couple of weeks ago, Play Big. <laughs> but this is what I do for my clients is yeah. they'll come to me and they'll normally have, like you're saying, sort of the mindset of let's just go in Australia or let's just go for, yeah. I'll give you an example, uh, Kim Clark owns a company called She's Empowered mm-hmm. and she was the first um, first person to create maternity wear for women in mining. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And so when she came to me, her product wasn't even created yet. She was mm-hmm. really at startup stage. Mm-hmm. And um, we worked from the business from the ground up. And she said to me that she was looking at getting retailers on board. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's the big dream? Like I always just love asking that. And if all the listeners, I want you to say to yourself, what is my biggest dream? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you feel like you're doing all the small stuff to get to the big stuff, but sometimes it's just going big anyway. Yeah, exactly. So um, I said, what's your big dream? And she goes, I want Anglo-America, I want BHP. And she's thrown out all these big multinational <laughs> or international companies. Yeah. And I said, let's go for them first. And she's like, what? And I said, let's go for them first. And then sure wow. enough, within six months, before she's even got her products here, Mm-hmm. She's got everything lined up. See, I love that. With Anglo America, BHP, and um, Rio Tinto. 
That's a massive, ma- massive mining company. That's amazing. And wow. then, like you're saying, everything sort of then falls into place. You get the smaller ones so. that come along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if you believe in like your product enough and you know it extremely well and you know your target market extremely well, why not go and pitch to the big guys? Because if you can lock in one of those big guys, that's going to be leverage for you to lock in the people that you would be pitching to anyway. Mm-hmm. So it fast tracks you a lot more by doing that top tier down approach. So how did you go with with growing your business side of it? Did you have a mentor, a coach? Oh, definitely. Oh, you actually said you met a mentor through Forbes, but sort of talking to me about your growth cycle with just having that help and that guidance along the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you have to surround yourself with mentors, people that have either been through a similar stage as the new or they've got a certain knowledge in a space that you're going into. Just by doing that, that shortcuts your learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that especially being an entrepreneur, you make you make mistakes all the time. So if you can minimize the mistakes by having more of a knowledge of what you're trying to do, that will just fast track you a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, even with strategies up until now, Peter Davison, who's one of the seed investors in PayPal, he's been amazing up until this point. Um, people like that, people that you can turn to and that you trust that really have a knowledge around different aspects of your business that you can turn to like, okay, okay I've got a quick question, this or this, and they just know based on their knowledge. Um, you asked well. the guy so from PayPal to. for help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely guy. I mean, I was chatting to him just before we started chatting actually. Oh, my God. It's incredible. <laughs> incredible, Jess. So just what's next? Where are, what, where are you going to now? What's actually happening with Stashed or with you, with yeah. entrepreneurship? Oh, gosh. We've got so much going on. Um, at the moment, we're locking in some of the, the more larger retailers here in Australia and in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, our goal is to become the largest virtual mall in the world without holding any stock. So we're doing different buying trips and we're going and locking in different boutiques that have amazing pieces that might not necessarily come up as high on Google. So we want to get all these amazing pieces from different designers as well as the heavyweights like Bloomingdale's and H&M and bring them onto one platform and that be a global virtual mall. So we're blocking in stores and partnerships and all of that type of thing at the moment. And then I was fortunate enough to um, be contacted by some award-winning producers and directors um, and we're shooting a pilot for a reality TV show at the moment, which is so exciting. Oh, I know. I don't think I've told you that actually. No. no. Yeah. So we're doing that at the moment. So we're going to Paris in October for Paris Fashion Week and for a buying trip for Stashed and the TV show is going to come and film all that. Um, Amazing. Yeah, which is incredible. <laughs> oh, how did you land that? They approached me, oh, funny of enough. they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well done. I know, so funny. They just heard, they heard an interview somewhere and then they reached out and I had a few conversations with them and then mm-hmm. we got some investment around it and we're kind of executing it at the moment which is super exciting fantastic well um really appreciate your learnings today and guys just so you know you might have heard the difference in the recording um jess and i have (laughs) been trying to get her in the right place to interview today um and where are where are you actually positioned today like we're not we'll tell them in a second that you're in a cupboard (laughs) but where are you today exactly are you in sydney are you melbourne I'm in Sydney at the moment. Yeah, I'm working out of, um, we've got some desks at Fishburners, which is a tech co-working space. Mm-hmm. I like to work out of there because, again, it surrounds us by a lot of tech minds that we don't normally have access to. So mm-hmm. my tech team, they go and we just speak to different minds and we kind of run different things past different people. And so I love it. And let's just tell them what's just happened. So oh my Jess God. was in a, in a soundproof <laughs> booth and I don't know if everyone could hear, you could hear some guys in the background talking. And so in the interview, I just said to her, look, I can just hear these guys talking and the mic's picking it up. And now tell them where you are. I'm literally like in a cupboard. 
<laughs> with boxes around her. Amenico with boxes. We've got some stock that got sent in through us from a couple of the brands. So I'm literally like sitting in with our stock, which is so funny. I'm I like, you know it. what? I think I know where we can like block out any noise. <laughs> I think that was where we were like putting in the stock from earlier today. The new soundproof booth. <laughs> love it Jess thank you so much and um, thank you for being just such a a, a massive icon to um, female entrepreneurs and um, for entrepreneurs you know per se but female entrepreneurs because obviously that's what Cashflow Candy is about and we appreciate your journey and um, wish you all the best and can't wait to see this uh, TV show oh my gosh I know thank you so much like I've had it was such a privilege to come and speak to you on here today we've been trying to tee it up for ages I know right so exciting (laughs) we finally made it happened noise soundproof I know, booth, noise and the and cupboards <laughs> fantastic jesse you have an awesome day you too thank you so Take much if you're a female entrepreneur and you're needing to boost your sales to get your product or your service out there and into some of these big companies just like Jessica has, then go to my website and download The One Secret. It teaches you the hidden skills of negotiation, of the buying signs of these people that you want to get your products and services out there. Now, thanks so much for listening to Cashflow Candy today. Remember, if you have a girlfriend that you know needs to hear this message today, make sure you share the love, send the podcast to her, and hey, while you're actually on on the iTunes. I'd love for you to share a review and a comment. Take care. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Cashflow Candy, making great money doing what you love.